Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Remember to visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or go online to mygreensolution.com. Either way, use that promo code DNVR20. You'll get 20% off your entire purchase. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. With me today is Patrick Lyons, and we have got a lot of interesting topics to get to today, including the concept of a Nolan Arenado for Chris Bryant swap, a little bit of research that's been done on how last year's baseball may have impacted individual players, and we'll look at some of the Rockies inside of that. Some thoughts and opinions on some, we'll call them comments, coming out of Astros camp if we've got time to get to it, and maybe a little bit on the Tony Walters arbitration situation, again, uh, if time allows. But Patrick, I wanted to begin here with Les Shapiro, who is a media person in the local environment with whom I have never once probably agreed with uh, on an opinion. However, he does tend to get his facts right. He doesn't go on Twitter and search for retweets and likes very often. In fact, he just doesn't go on Twitter very often. Radio guy here for a very long time who a couple of days ago said he has sources both in Chicago, where he has some connections, and Denver suggesting that Theo Epstein is very, very interested in trying to pursue this trade for Nolan Arenado. Um, Then to just give a little more context, I guess I'll get your thoughts on the whole thing. Uh, About... An hour before we hit record on this program, Patrick Saunders of the Denver Post tweeted that he has a source that those rumors are more about a kind of leverage situation. Uh, The Cubs maybe making sure that Nolan doesn't go to the Cardinals or maybe trying to drive up, you know, trying to do something with their whole, their own public opinion problem with the Chris Bryant situation. So what is your takeaway from these sort of two competing tweets. I think Theo Epstein is trying to just make it clear to Nolan Arenado, who has a full no trade clause, that should a deal be made between the Cubs and Rockies, that he is their top prize. He's the guy that they want. And that will obviously make it a lot easier for Nolan Arenado to say, hey, I'm I'm fine. I will lift my no trade uh, clause and maybe even try to, to tack on a year um, on the end of that current deal, because as we know, he has an opt out. So uh, I, I think feeling wanted is something and respected is something that Nolan is going to want. So I think Theo is really just playing up to that. And I, I think it's probably f- somewhat common that you know, through um, certain avenues, there are general managers and front office folks that might make it clear to friends and family and people in the industry that, hey, this guy is on my want list. He's he's available, so I want to go after him. And I know I'm going to pay a big price in the first place, but we are targeting him. And maybe, you know, Theo has that insider information. If anyone does, it's going to be him. But he's going to have that information that the Rockies might covet um, a certain set of his players. Um, you know, David Bodie's a guy who comes from Colorado, not too uh, too far from Coors Field up in, in the Longmont, Nilot area. So um, not saying he'd be a part of any kind of package because uh, that would probably be um, almost an overpay for the, the Cubs to give up Bryant and Bodie. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the Rockies may covet something that the Cubs have, as far as prospects go. So again, it just kind of lays the groundwork for it all to go down. Should this thing go sideways for the Rockies and they're looking to get out from under the contract before the July 31st trade deadline. Or maybe even in the longer game, you know, he's saying, Hey, maybe, maybe it works out okay for the Rockies or they just remain stubborn and refuse to trade them. But I make it clear in the two years in between that I really wanted to, and I was trying to, offer stuff up for him so that if Nolan takes that opt out, he may secure uh, seriously look at the Chicago situation, which I I think could be another interesting long-term play. There's very little to lose from the Cubs perspective here, I guess, other than further alienating Chris Bryant, who it appears 
is pretty well alienated one way or the other. Same thing with uh, Nolan in his current situation. Um, but there's an element of this that I find, well, actually there are, there are a number of elements of this that are super ironic and interesting. The main one, of course, has been that these are two pe- players who've been compared to each other for several years now, especially when Bryant was playing a lot more third base and there was a season in which Bryant won the MVP and you could have argued that Nolan could or should have won that award. You can also look at certain statistics that still argue that Bryant might even be just as good, if not better, a player at his best, according to Fangraphs War. He's been better than Nolan Arenado. Of course, I've never subscribed to that. We've spent so much time in our local market here saying, no, 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 no. And it is still the case that Nolan's the better player in the clutch. But typically, when there's a trade of a star-level player, the return is a handful of really exciting yet unknown commodities, prospects, right? You usually don't get another kind of no arguments against him being a star-level player. I don't think he's as good as Nolan Arenado, but a trade of a disgruntled star for another disgruntled legitimate star and a prospect, which is what Les Shapiro was saying in the tweet, if that prospect is a pitcher, that honestly might be about as good as the Colorado Rockies could possibly do. I still don't think they should trade Nolan, but if they're in, and they're still going to catch the ire of everyone if they trade Nolan Arenado and keep Jeff Breidich as the GM. But if you're taking all of that off the table and looking at on paper trades, getting another star player back plus a prospect, that's, I don't know, that might be as well as they could do. The one area that I think Bryant doesn't match up with Arenado is durability. Now, last year, uh, Brian bounced back after you know an injury plague 2018, but you know played 147 games. Uh, 2018 only had 102. He's got the positional flexibility, so uh, I think that basically to to parrot what you're you're saying, you can say okay, Brian for Arenado, maybe that's an even swap, and for the Rockies, they're actually going to end up saving money, whereas Nolan's making 35 million for the next two seasons. And Bryant's going to be, you know, setting some arbitration records, um, certainly next year. But overall, Colorado is going to end up saving, you know, ten to fifteen million dollars these next two seasons each. Uh, if you, you tack on that that prospect, and yeah, it looks looks really nice. It also allows you to maybe ease Ryan McMahon into that third base yep. role, where now it's not okay. Good luck filling the shoes of of possibly the greatest third baseman anywhere of all time certainly obviously the the top one in rocky's franchise history sorry garrett atkins um brutal be more vinnie castilla <laughs> than anything but um i, I just want to shoehorn yeah. garrett atkins yeah. and give him a shout out cankles but but sorry, it, but it uses that trans- his own teammates <laughs> called him that <laughs> <laughs> it uh, eases anyway. McMahon's transition, no doubt about it. It gives right. Rodgers a, a, a position at second base. And, you know, um, when Brian can, can go to the outfield, it gives you now two right-handed bats in the outfield, um, potentially, exactly. um, with, with, with Desmond, let's well, say, yeah. uh, since it's very, <laughs> very left-handed hitter heavy right now in the, the Rockies order. So, and it frees up that cap space guaranteed. Um, they likely would give him a qualifying offer after the 2021 season. So they're going to get a nice draft pick. So uh, you factor that in, you're, you're essentially getting uh, the prospect and you're getting uh, again, a, a, a second round quality talent in the 2022 draft. So you could do a lot worse, um, but it uh, I, I it seems slim to none that um, this deal will go down any sooner than um, you know late July, if at all. Which I I, I kind of right. doubt, to be honest. I really do doubt that. No, it was it was, it was fun to think about, uh, particularly because of the history of these two players and them being compared to each other and uh, all of that. But I'm with you. I think it's very unlikely to unfold. And one of the reasons. Why, and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up because I saw our good friend Mark Knutson, former pitcher in the Rockies organization and several others, 
um, talking with people about this, I, th I think one of the lost elements, especially when writers from other markets or sometimes, you know, sort of fans from the outside are quite fairly using logic to come to the conclusion that it makes sense that the Rockies have to trade Nolan Arenado, therefore they're going to. And for better or for worse... I know you're going here. Because <laughs> did you see the tweet exchange? For better or for worse, they don't operate that way. That's right. I oftentimes see people say, you know, I don't get what the Rockies are doing over there, so it doesn't really make any sense. So, of course, I could foresee them doing this, even though it doesn't really make a ton of sense, because nothing they do makes sense to me. They don't understand Nick Monfort. And I'm not going to claim that I do, but I feel like I've got a, a better grasp on it than some. I'll leave it at that. And I think that's often the missing link here is people say he's mad. He can leave. They have to move him or he'll go for nothing. And that is all 100% true. <laughs> Uh, however, I don't. Dick Monfort doesn't look at it that way. He thinks they're going to compete. And here's the other thing: if they don't, if the Rockies win 71 games in 2020, he's going to think that they're going to compete in 2021. I think there's a bigger chance that Nolan Arenado just plays the next two years and leaves for nothing than that they trade him at all. And that's not to say there's no chance they trade him at all, but. It's going to have to be a pretty bad situation by this year's deadline, I think, which it could be, but yeah, you, he's a stubborn guy. Yeah. The Rockies have three opportunities to trade him before he leaves for virtually nothing. Again, even if he opts out, they can put a qualifying offer on him and get a pick back, but you've got this deadline. You've got the entire 2020, 21 off season. Right. Uh, you get all of the teams in it, right? This past offseason, Bradich was fielding phone calls. That just means he was answering. He was listening to see who was really willing to give up the, the biggest package. He can then turn around and say, hey, we like these three prospects. If you throw in this fourth one, we'll go with your deal instead. Um, so he's fielding those phone calls already. And then you still have the 2021 trade deadline. So um, there are a few options uh, to go there. Um, to go back to um, Shapiro's, uh, less Shapiro's tweet, you know, I think the Cardinals <laughs> sure. uh, side of the deal really is what I think makes it interesting because the Cardinals have a way of bringing guys in via trade, getting them acclimated to the way they, they go about their business, and then locking them up long term. We saw it obviously with, with another Colorado Rockies uh, great, Matt Holliday. When he uh, moved over from from Oakland, they re-signed him. They got Paul Goldschmidt last offseason, immediately turned around and gave him a nice lucrative deal. And there's, a, a I think, a pretty good shot that if St. Louis were the ones to acquire Arenado, that he might very quickly say, oh, this is a place where an organization and the fan base not only really understands how great of a player I am, but can appreciate me in that way and respect me in that way. I think Rockies fans have done an amazing job in heaping praise on Arenado and, you know, holding them up, holding him up there as, as one of the greats uh, in the game. So uh, that's no knock on them, but I think going to St. Louis, he can very quickly see, wow, this is a place that I would love to play. He's a, he, I'm sure he would say that right now about that fan base from the last seven seasons that he's traveled there uh, on the road. And, um, and, and once he's in the fold, then he says, yeah, I'm, I'm not opting out or, you know, let's restructure the deal a little bit. Uh, maybe add two more years on the end for less overall money um, or rather less annual uh, dollars, but I'm, I'm still going to be making more overall. Now that's going to free up some cap space and we can you know, try to win a championship in 21, 22, 23, et cetera. So a lot of uh, interesting pieces, a lot of different scenarios, and really uh, the conversation I think that got started this offseason, it's still going on. It's still a conversation. It still has a lot of layers. And we're, I think we're really only scratching at the surface of it. 
Yeah, I don't think they're going to give up the pitching it's going to take. Chicago's that, that, uh, they're they're yeah their their organization yeah. is is really void of a lot of talent. They used so much of it in that that run in in twenty sixteen, and they haven't been really been able to develop a lot of the guys. Um, right. As they and St. Louis has the prospects. I just don't think they're going to give them up. Like if they want to give up their top pitcher, um, blanking on his name right this moment. Um, the one they got from the Rays, Libertore Matthew. That's right. Like. Then it could get interesting, but I don't think they're going to do that. And with the, like you said, with the schedule, the Rockies don't have to blink. If it was further out, um, you know, I, I saw somebody saying today, this is a unique situation they've never really been in before, but it's actually not that different than any other. Just think of it as a contract that expires in two years. If you want to think of it that way, if you're absolutely certain no one's going to opt out, which I don't think is a foregone conclusion, but for the sake of argument, it, then he's on a two-year deal, right? And you can yeah. still trade a player and get good value for him for one year or even for half a year. And uh, the Rockies have done it themselves in the past with a, a guy you've already mentioned. It's going to be a, apparently just a big part of this conversation today and Matt Holliday. When they, they were kind of in the same spot where he was just going to walk away. He wasn't going to sign an extension. There wasn't an opt-out, but his contract was running out. So they traded him to Oakland for some people, and fans were mad. They'd never heard of this Carlos Gonzalez kid. They were irate, and it's going to be a similar situation if they're forced to trade Nolan. But that's the, the, that's the, that's the bottom line of the Dick Monfort thing. He and and what he'll trade he'll allow to happen of a superstar player. He won't blink. In other words, take anything less than a ridiculous overpay from some other team until he absolutely has to, <laughs> which would be the trade deadline, twenty twenty one. And a team, if anyone's going to overpay, it's going to be for a star player. I mean, I, I don't right. think Boston really got back the value you would have no. thought they would have for you know uh, a once in a generation player like like Mookie Betts, but at the same time, you know they had um, other issues going on with with getting under um, the luxury tax and uh, and and getting rid of <laughs> David Price's contract. So really, they they yeah. were able to check off a lot of boxes. But if it was just getting rid of Mookie Betts and and all as well, you know they would have gotten. At seriously close to three times as much as as they did. So um, Aaron, right. there's going to be a lot of teams gunning for him and a lot of teams on the come up that have been stockpiling prospects and have been doing a great job with player development. And the Rockies right now, they're, they're suffering. You know, Brendan Rodgers is their only um, consensus top 100 prospect. And and we know sometimes Rockies prospects can get yeah, over from, from time to time, but but no, you can say that about any every team. time. You no, can no, say no, that no. about any team's prospects. No, 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 no it's no, true. No, no, no. Uh, yes, but I'm not talking about no. I've th- this is this is absolutely the case. The Colorado Rockies prospects across the board, 100 of them have been underrated. It is it is the case that even things like Coors Field are factored into uh, the evaluations of these guys at the minor league level. Uh, it, they've just been wrong. Uh, I, I I will take I will take other evaluations of uh, this particular group of young players uh, far before I, I will the national consensus. It's just been way too far off. And they, the, and quite frankly, they just don't have the people on the ground. There isn't the manpower to do it. They have a lot more resources in checking out other people's farm systems. And that's why their evaluations are better there. And I understand why that would be the case because those organizations have more regularly been, you know, factors in <laughs> the postseason and stuff. Um, but the history of, of the national consensus when it comes to either the Rockies farm system or individual players is just atrocious. Well, I I think it definitely hurts that, you know, the fourth overall pick in 2016, you got nothing for that. It's Riley Pint. It's still early, no doubt. Um, at best, you might have a high arm in the bullpen. It's still early, no doubt about it. Yeah. 
um, you know, he hasn't come along um, the way I know the organization would have liked. 2017, you lost your first round pick by signing Ian Desmond. And the second guy that you, you selected after Ryan Valade um, with the competitive balance round B, um, pick number 70 overall, Tommy Doyle, just retired. So, again, you're, yeah, you're missing out on – that one hurts. Yeah, Ben Bowden, again, high uh, high pick. Again, we think he can be very valuable to the 2020 Rockies in the bullpen as a lefty. Um, but, you know, when, when you're picking that high, you, you got to get slightly more impact talent than – a guy that's, you know, going to be coming out of the pen to get a couple guys here and there. So, um, it's, this is more of a, of a conversation for another day, no doubt about it, but, um, you bring in a prospect in from the Cubs. Uh, there's no two ways about it that that could really help, you know, bolster the entire system, push everybody else down, uh, and, you know, create more competition, which is, uh, that's really the, uh, the idea of the day right now of this early in spring training. It's all about that competition and, certain position battles. So there's certainly somebody out there who could maybe make up for the, the Riley Pine thing, though. I do think he's going to find his way in a bullpen role. Um, it's going to take him a minute to adjust to that. And kind of like you were saying that it's not what they were hoping for with the fourth overall pick at the same time, yeah. you know, you can again, talking about other organizations. You can take a look at the Astros first, second and third round picks over the last five seasons. And, They've been they've had a much worse record than the Colorado Rockies, but it hasn't mattered as much, obviously. But again, I I think, you know, can always pick and choose some of these things. But, you know, all of this drama is going to end up being a moot point anyway, Patrick, because I've got an inside source that tells me that there is a summit between all of the important parties going on at Bojo's for Valentine's Day. That's how you make this whole thing go away. You get Dick Monfort, Jeff Breidich, Nolan Arenado into a Bojo's. They're going to mention DNVR, of course. Why would they not? To get a free honey cheese bread with purchase of an entree. Because that is how you have a peace summit. This is the only way to solve the issue, I think. Either that or or, or do some serious damage to a Bojo's. <laughs> Just, I, I, um, you're, you're spelling peace, P-I-E-C-E. Is that correct? Right, right. A peace summit. You got to get a piece of pie at Bojo's, no doubt. Oh, fantastic. It's the only place you're going to get true Colorado mountain pie. Look, New York does their thing. Chicago, I guess, calls that pizza, whatever they're doing out there. I can enjoy either under the right circumstance, but there is absolutely no substitution for the original Colorado mountain pie. They infuse their dough with natural sweetener, which is why it's so awesome when you put a little extra honey on there. You can get gluten-free or cheeseless pizza if you've got certain, you know, needs as our good friend and video coordinator Ali does. Uh, They got plant-based options. They got a salad bar if you want to just go and watch sports. There's TV on all the time. So make sure you hit up Bojo's. Mention DNVR. Get a free honey cheese bread with purchase of an entree at all locations plus you let them know that you know we're the ones who sent you in and they'll appreciate that and we'll appreciate that and everyone will have a good time <laughs> especially dick monford and nolan arnado <laughs> and jeff Breidich. if you see them in there let you know let them know let them know what you think so patrick i wanted we, we had a few other things we were going to talk about today but just before coming on here uh, i got a tweet from at sandblaster uh who sent my way this article from prospects365.com written by Connor, I'm going to go with Kirkon, Kurson, Kurchon. Nailed it. I don't know. And Kirkon. Ray Butler. I think you nailed it. Who, <laughs> yeah. You got the Butler one. Um, who, <laughs> Ray Butler, 100% nailed it. Uh, <laughs> These guys did some really fantastic work compiling a lot of data that's already been put together from The Ringer and 538 and someone we've talked about before, Dr. Meredith Wills, who have uh, looked into this juiced baseball question. I, I don't like that term very much, but everybody knows what we're talking about. The different baseball in 2019 and have run the numbers to try to determine who was impacted 
the most in a positive way, hitters, obviously, which particular hitters, and which pitchers were hurt the most by the difference in the baseball. It's a difficult, Patrick, would you, do you want to run us a little bit through their methodology here? Uh, in the simplest of terms, we'll try to explain this. Right. Well, the the fact that the 2019 baseball was different than the one in 2018 and in previous seasons uh, basically comes down to the seams being lower. Uh, the leather was, you know, a little bit slicker, a little smoother, um, which, you know, just made the ball a little more aerodynamic. Right. The ball was was overall rounder. So Kirkon and Butler, um, they crunched the numbers uh, with baseballs that were hit between 80 and 95 miles an hour. Ultimately, with the idea that anything uh, harder hit at at ninety five point one and higher um, wouldn't have had too much change on the on the that baseball because, frankly, you hit the ball pretty damn hard to begin with. So there certainly would be a change uh, in some of those baseballs, just like there would be for some baseballs hit lower than eighty miles per hour, but the ones right in the middle, those like average. Uh, exit velocities. And they compiled that with launch angle data from 2018, 2019. And they found out that in the middle part of that curve, there was an increase in hit distance. In other words, um, some average hit balls in 2018 that were outs, some of them became hits in 2019. And they looked at um, all the ball players. Uh, that it impacted, and all of the pitchers that it impacted. And there were some interesting numbers that came out as far as uh, certain Rockies players who maybe benefited from this um, and those who were, were punished, especially on, on the pitching side. Yeah, and so there are a lot of – whenever something like this happens, it's you got to remember not to – treat it as conclusive, right? This is a really interesting bit of data. It's it's a start of research. There could be other things going on here, but I do think it's remarkably compelling. And of course, for me in particular, there are a lot of things here that match up with my own uh, biases, basically. You know, this is, this is some confirmation bias for me in a lot of ways, looking over uh, the list that was presented. Again, our good friend Sandblaster did me the favor, I think, of uh, culling sort of the Rockies information here. And the top line takeaway, his, and, and I agree, actually, I don't know if Sandblaster is male or female. There's no reason for me to assume. Um, either way, said that, uh, so the, the person who benefited the most on the Colorado Rockies, Charlie Blackman was the 73rd most, or yeah, (laughs) benefited the most 73rd. This is difficult to explain now that I'm realizing. Uh, There weren't anybody from the Rockies in the top 70 most beneficiaries in the game of baseball. Uh, There start to be some there in the 73, Dahl at 80, Arenado at 81, Hilliard at 101, Story at 149, Ryan McMahon at 234. So those are the players who were above the median of benefiting. So they did benefit from the difference in the baseball, not quite as much as other players, but more than the average. Um, yeah, and and yeah, I th- and I think the those top four, really the top five. Forget that. Let's include McMahon. Yeah, the top six were probably the the best players offensively. Now that doesn't mean uh, you know you you uh, interpolate, if you will, uh, their season uh, to the 2018 ball. You know their numbers would have taken a serious dip. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, I think you know what you would find is there's a lot of teams that maybe their best hitters um, benefited the most because yes, they're hitting a lot of. Uh, incredibly hard hit balls uh, above that 95 mile per hour exit velocity, but they're also hitting a lot right there in the middle. Um, that's, that's how you have a, a high BABIP, a batting average on balls in play is you're getting, you're making very solid contact and you're making it harder for the defense to react to that. Uh, 
So uh, it, I think it stands within reason that those guys, you know, would have benefited most from that. Um, they, they all had, had great seasons and uh, you know, the ones that you're going to get to and in, in the bottom of the list, you know, they suffered, uh, you know, somewhat slightly, but again, you can, you can see flaws in, you know, their, their overall abilities at the plate. And, you know, again, I, I think it's, it's like any curve, you know, if you think back to when you were in school and you wanted to be above the curve. So even though, um, you know, you only got a, an 88, well, because of the curve, it bumped you up and, and now you got a 93. Now you got an A. Um, same thing where if, if, uh, if you failed and you got a 65, but you're in a really strong class, then the curve might take you down to 60. So uh, I, that was kind of my takeaway on this. Who, who else was in the bottom half uh, on the Rockies offense that was affected yeah, by so the, the juice ball? Yeah, the, the guys who weren't affected as much were Tapia, Desmond, Murphy, Hampson, uh, newcomer Elias Diaz, uh, Tony Walters, and Jonathan Daza. And those guys really still, even even they were more in the medium range. They weren't way at the end of the league. And like uh, you were saying, I think you can point to individual elements of each of those guys' games. Obviously, Tapia has never been a hit-the-ball-hard-in-the-air player. Uh, Desmond is, but has his own contact issues. Murphy just had an all-around down season. Hampson had an all-around down season. Elias Diaz had an all-around down season. The Walters one is really interesting, and I think that that, it goes hand-in-hand with what we've learned about his general approach being not to try to hit the ball as hard as he can, which is a weird and interesting approach, approach that our friend Manny Randawa absolutely hates. Um, but it is on purpose. I mean, Jeff Salazar and Tony Walters and uh, I've gone on record about him trying to just basically hit singles over the infield, which is what took his batting average up. But of course, he's not going to benefit from a juiced baseball if that's his approach. <laughs> and yeah, he's he's not trying to get underneath the ball and loft it in the air because that just gives defenders more time to camp out underneath it. And that's right. that's ultimately, again, what the work of, of Kirkon and, and Butler show is that um, balls with a lower launch angle, so kind of more line drives, there isn't as much of an impact with this juiced baseball. Uh, same thing with, with, with balls that have an extreme launch angle. They still traveled um, you know, far distances. It's those ones kind of in the middle. So if you kind of have that average skill set, you benefited the most. But if you have maybe a marginal skill set where um, you're trying to uh, dunk and dink them, um, over the infielders' heads, kind of like you might say Walters does or or Jonathan Daza, then you did not right. benefit as much. Now you you, you didn't uh, you know lose points on your batting average because everyone benefited from the juice ball, no doubt about it. But right. they benefited from it the least. Right. And that I think that sold even more what the point you were just making when you look at this the overall leaderboard uh, across the league because. There's not a lot of superstar hitters on here. Um, Alex Avila was the guy who led the league, and that makes he's got a big uppercut swing. It makes sense that he would benefit the most from something like that. Kevin Biggio uh, makes sense. With, uh, there's a lot of young guys on here who have come up in this uppercut swing revolution. A few of the more veteran players who just have that. Anyway, the guy in third place is really the only superstar player on here, and this will stick in Rockies fans craw just a little bit. It's Anthony Rendon. who's a player who got the third most benefit, according to this research, out of the juiced baseball. Um, you You're can't say he's got the, the wrong approach, but, you know. Anthony Rendon, also known as the second best third baseman in, in baseball. Is that the one you're referring to? That's the guy. Uh, <laughs> Further down the list, so, you see Mikey Stremski who's a guy who uh, tormented the Rockies yes. a little bit in a career year where he literally hadn't even made his major league debut into his late 20s and then goes out right. and, hey, give, give him all the credit in the world. He really wasn't getting an opportunity, ironically, with the Orioles. But the Giants gave him yeah. a chance there, and, yeah, he benefited from it, but um, you know, certainly deserves all the accolades for the season he had in 2019. Yeah. 
But another couple that are going to hurt are going to be Will Smith and Gavin Lux up there in fourth and fifth. Of course, hit two of the three walk-offs in that fateful series in Los Angeles that I'll say the Will Smith one, the moment it went over the fence, I may have yelled out something akin to effing juiced baseballs. I Or someone around me might have said, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just can neither confirm nor deny that that may have happened. And, and I think Scott Oberg may have said the exact same thing. And so seeing his name pop up on there was like, ah. <laughs> and Justin Turner was in that top 30 list. That's right. So, Another Dodger. A lot, a lot of NOS guys. Carson Kelly. Eduardo Escobar. So there were the, yep. the National League West definitely was represented well as far as those who benefited the yeah, most um, from the juice baseball. Andrew Benintendi was the one least surprising to anybody who follows our friend Morris, who does the it's at juice base juice ball one or expo one, I believe it is. We had him on the pod and he tracks the worst juice ball home runs. Benintendi had so many pop-ups just land in the front row of the monster last season like he was the star of that twitter feed for a while all right on the other side of it this is actually what i found most compelling and i will say there were some surprises on here to me and this is what i think again even if you don't take it conclusively where rockies fans already naturally were feeling and so there's some like damn you know anthony rendon's the third most beneficial and Arenado's way back at 81 on the flip side, you've got Jesus Tinoco was 13th most hurt most by the juiced baseball. And that totally makes sense when you go back and look at his year and like the insane strikeout numbers and the insane home run numbers. Like he had the stuff and it seemed like anytime he left a fastball up at all, it left the yard. So to see his name right there, I was like, dude, yeah, bummer. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know he came in in some um, pretty important spots and some games, uh, both with Rockies ahead, behind there in the middle points of the season. And you know, again, if uh, if things were different, it's 2018. You know, who's to say that you know the Rockies don't have a much better record going into middle uh, to late July and they don't acquire somebody? So. It's it's all ifs and buts, um, but <laughs> again, there's no uh, but yeah, Tinoco was was uh, just just so high on that list, and when you have a reliever like that, you know, getting tortured the way that he did, uh, along with a few other guys, you're going to get to in a moment. It's it's really frustrating, especially when you're dealing with the confines of Coors Field as it is, you know. Absolutely. Like this is just another dagger in the heart of these guys at 17. Like this makes perfect sense. And I think you can pretty easily argue this didn't really kill the Rockies, but unfortunate for the young man, that's Mr. Tim Melville. Um, I'm actually surprised we didn't see, and maybe Sam Blasters wasn't looking for a Tyler Anderson's name on this list anywhere. Maybe he didn't pitch enough uh, to qualify, but same reason. Like you, you top out at 90 miles an hour. Your primary pitch as a lefty is a curveball changeup situation. Guys barrel it up. It's going to go a long way. And Tim Melville, you know, when guys were able to get to him, it did not help his cause that the baseball was flying a bit farther. No, and and especially with just how wonderful of a story it was to begin with that. You think it could it could have been even more magical, and maybe he would have kept his spot in the forty man roster. Maybe he wouldn't have suffered a cracked rib again. All what ifs that that we'll just never have the answer to. In a similar vein, back at forty three, but still, you know, we're talking top fifty. So there's three Rockies pitchers in the top fifty. There were zero Rockies hitters in the top seventy. Yancy Almonte who was a guy I think Colorado was really hoping could solidify himself into the bullpen last year. And and again, because of the home run issue in particular, was not able to do so. No, that was, uh, that was frustrating. I thought he was going to be a guy that really broke out. And I, I, I essentially put him in the spot that we saw Jairo Diaz. And I didn't, 
um, necessarily think he was going to go out right. and you know save ten to fifteen games, but I did think he was going to be the one everybody was buzzing about going into next season. And I think we still might see that he still you know flashes uh, um, some some big moments here and there. And um, again, another uh, season with the Rockies under his belt, we could finally start to see that develop. It took a, took a while for us to get that from Adam Anovino. Took a while for us to see that from Scott Oberg. But it all happened, and I think uh, if you're going to pick a next guy uh, to kind of fit in with that mold, I think Almonte, you know, might be that that safe bet um, to fill their shoes and the, and for the next generation, so to speak. Yeah, I love that take, and and I agree. So damn you, uh, but <laughs> so we're, we're um, at fifty-seven. This one, I'm of two completely different minds about. You've got Jake McGee, who. I think this is more a product of a guy who was just pitching poorly, getting gasoline thrown on the fire. Uh, but again, when you look at his numbers, his ERA is almost exclusively attributable to very ill-timed home runs that he gave up. Um, he's a guy who in the past has relied on a power fastball that's slowing down. And so... You know, while I I don't expect him to be able to, if they were to fix this baseball issue, I don't know that I'd expect a as big a return from him as maybe other people. Uh, this was still a bit a little bit like, man, did you have to take a guy who was already struggling to find it and throw this issue onto it? Yeah, the new rules finally uh, released today by Major League Baseball. Um, just to touch on those, obviously 26 man is good to go. Rosters expansion is only going to go up to 28. Uh, only 20 seconds for the managers uh, as far as calling out for uh, an instant replay. And, of course, the three batter minimum. And, you know, my initial thought when, when we heard this, um, the rumblings, I, I think in the, the playoffs last year, uh, or late last year really, in the season, was that, you know, guys that were, you know, left-handed one-out guys who Jake McGee ultimately is not. He's got reverse splits. He gets out righties. But left-handed guys that would only come in for one batter, they're going to start to disappear because they're going to need to get out multiple guys. But um, I've since talked to some people in the game, and they think this could actually be a benefit for those loogies. And, and it could potentially even be a benefit for a guy like Jake McGee, who in the past – Maybe they're coming in to get one batter, and it's either success or failure. You get the guy out, you did your job. Yeah. You didn't get the guy out, well, man, you, you you suck. Let's get the next guy in for the for the better matchup. And right. this could give those guys an opportunity of like, well, there can be an in between. Yeah, you know, you wanted to get this guy out as the final out. Um, have the pitcher spot coming up in the next inning, force the uh, opposing team's manager to make a move, go to his bench a little bit early, take the guy out, as it were. Now that's not going to be the case. But you get the second guy out. You don't get the guy out that you were supposed to get, but maybe you can get the second guy out. Maybe you can salvage it. And I think that allows a little bit of gray area for some of these guys that are deemed, you know what, you're, you're, we're going to give you one guy. We don't know that we no. can trust you for any more than that. Now they're going to have to. Now they can maybe um, have a, a little bit more comfort, slightly more comfort when they get in the game that they don't have to make an immediate impact, especially when so many guys might not have it when they're in the bullpen and they're rushed to warm up and they're rushed to no. get into the game. They might be able to figure it out on pitch five, six, seven, and eight on the second batter and get that out and get out of that jam. So McGee is a guy I think we could see actually benefit from this interesting new three batter minimum rule. Wow. All right. Interesting take that I don't necessarily know that I agree with, but we gotta, we gotta move on on this list uh, because at 89 was a name I was expecting to see. I was expecting to see it maybe a little bit higher, but still Kyle Freeland, being negatively impacted by the baseball is not a surprise in the slightest. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I did. That was one of the first things I looked at was where is Freeland going to be on this list? And 
you know, he's he he logged the most innings uh, of those five guys or those four guys ahead of him that we mentioned. Melville being the only other starter. So again, smaller sampler size with with the relievers. Um, it, you know, some some different things are going to happen, so they might slide ahead. But Freeland being that high up for a starting pitcher, I think really um, gets to that whole whole point that he, you know, really suffered probably you know more than the 95 to 99% of pitchers in baseball in 2019 because of the juice baseball. So, um, yeah. didn't think he was going to be and able was to hire his but... opening day starter. Like he, yeah. I mean, and you know, he was the top of the rotation guy, uh, uh just brutal. And so, yeah, I, uh, and and then uh, Sammy Howard back at 165, kind of a similar situation. You're like, yeah, that's the kind of stuff. You see a pattern with these lefties, too. There, there were a lot of them. I haven't looked at the big pitcher list as closely. I don't have it in front of me, but there were quite a few of those. Um, but the Freeland thing is just obviously he was he's such an important member of the Rockies organization. And at 203, while that's not super high on the list, is another really important member of the Rockies organization, Herman Marquez, uh, whose ERA dropped by almost a full point from 2018 to 2019, who did have a bit of a home run issue. And as someone who watched 95% of the pitches he threw last year, some of that, I mean, okay, but this is where it gets hard. We say things like, some of that look was he he was inconsistent and there were days he would show up and leave way too many pitches in the middle of the zone. But was he leaving way too many pitches in the middle of the zone because he had no feel for the seams and the, and the ball was slick and, and slippery or, or what, you know? So I don't know, man, it's, it's difficult, but to see two of the three most important members of the Rockies rotation on this list is both not surprising and very frustrating. Yeah, it, it really belabors the point that sometimes the, the game of baseball can be a little bit about luck. And, you know, the cream rises to the top, and, and over the course of, of a player's career, you know, they're going to have those peaks and valleys. They're going to have those ebbs and flows. And, you know, maybe uh, maybe it, it ebbed more than it should have last year for, for Marquez and Freeland, but um, if we know anything about those guys, you know, they're going to they're gonna flow right back and in this next season uh, and bounce back and, and maybe we'll see them on the, the hurt the least list, or, you know, maybe they're in the middle, but regardless, their numbers, numbers are going to be really good. And when we talk about the, the guys that, you know, maybe benefited the most from it, it's, it's, you know, uh, some of them are in the, in the same category as the offensive players that we talked about. They're, they're great. They're of, of a quality caliber to begin with. So it would make sense that, you know, they would, they would benefit most too, as they are they are on the high end. So right. you could say the same thing for a lot of these pitchers that okay, they benefited a lot, but I mean, shoot, even if you did use the twenty eighteen baseball, they would have been pretty much just as equally dominant. Right. And then of course at two sixty seven, so still above the median, but not nearly as high as I thought he was going to be. People listening to the podcast all offseason say, "I thought Wade Davis was going to be number one." The way you've been talking, dude. Okay, Wade Davis also walked like four batters per nine innings, which I don't think is <laughs> being taken into account here. That was also a big part of his problem. But um, yeah, I mean, he he was still above the median, so to have. You know, your two young, promising relievers in Tinoco and Almonte, uh, two of your top three starters in Freeland and Marquez, and your closer who's falling apart, I believe, was maybe the biggest. Davis and Freeland, I've said all offseason, were the biggest individual reasons why the Rockies' season fell apart. Seeing both of their names there is both frustrating, but also, as you said, maybe an indication that whether it's them – fixing the baseball a little bit or just the randomness of it, the luck of it. Um, there's a silver lining to these numbers as well. For sure. And then when, when you kind of get past the medium point, you start talking about the guys who benefited or who was hurt the least. Um, you got Brian Shaw, Jairo Diaz right there. Um, two guys who had, um, 
you know, different seasons, uh, to say the least, you know, they kind of flip flopped, uh, yeah. where, where you thought their roles were going to be, where Diaz, maybe he was going to be, uh, mopping up some innings late when it didn't matter. Uh, turned out Shaw kind of was that guy. Uh, he was still an innings eater. And by the end of the season, Jairo Diaz was the guy coming out of the bullpen to close out games for the Rockies in September. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting year, but this is exactly why I have said many, many times when people ask me, you know, and I get we're getting to the time and, and it's a fair question to start asking, where do you see the Rockies win total? What, what kind of range do you have them in? My answer is on March 1st, I'm going to get to Scottsdale. And the first thing I'm doing is I'm finding a baseball and I'm picking it up and I'm comparing it to the one from last year. And I'm talking to some people off the record. And once I do that, because I feel like I'll have a much better handle on this conversation we just had here for the last 20 minutes or so. Then I'll I'll have an idea of where I can put the Rockies win total. Yeah, and and you may have to wait until the the end of March or that that third week before we get started because uh, as you travel around the Cactus League and you you see the Rockies play the Giants, you'll you'll get a little buzz about how things are going in their camp. You go out to Peoria and hear what the Padres are up to, uh, as well as, you know, Camelback Ranch where the Dodgers play, um, you know, all, all the NL teams out there in Arizona. And you can get a feeling like, wow, you know, maybe this team is a little better than I had expected, or maybe this team might be better than the Rockies. Uh, and you hadn't originally anticipated that. So it's uh, a whole lot of, lot of moving pieces. And the baseball, as you said, may be the biggest one. Yeah. But... Maybe we'll do a we'll have a big announcement party of all of this down at Blake Street Tavern. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll say, hey, here's how many wins the Rockies are going to get definitively. I mean, I'll be down in Scottsdale, but you know, maybe I can phone in. We can get everybody together, make a big deal of it, <laughs> drink some Breck brews. Uh, what time of year? So it'll be. If we're moving into April, it's probably not quite strawberry sky unless you just love it all year round like I do. Maybe you're still in avalanche amber mode. That's what I've been doing lately with the hockey. It's just the perfect companion to the hockey, Patrick. I don't <laughs> the, the avalanche amber is just something special. And if you're having it at Blake Street Tavern, you know you'll be able to watch the hockey. That's one of the great things about Blake Street Tavern or the basketball. Uh, no matter what the TV situation is, they've got you all set up there. So for those of you that are still frustrated by the whole situation going on there, I know that's not really a Rockies issue, but still head over to Blake Street Tavern because you know the game will be on. You know Breck Brew will be on tap. You know there's like a 30% chance someone from DNVR will be in there, so you'll have somebody to talk to about sports. DNVR is, is very nearly on tap. Uh, DNVR human will be there a third of the time. That's right. I love it. I love it. Very true. All right, Patrick, I wanted to wrap this one up, as I mentioned a while ago, with just a few thoughts about the Tony Walters thing. I actually just totally forgot about it the last time you and I spoke, which I think shows a little bit of the difference of my take on this than the public one when this happened with Trevor Story, you and I discussed why, in my words, arbitration is dumb. <laughs> this whole process leads to some really stupid conclusions. And one of them is things like this, where the team wins. So for the news bit of it, <laughs> the team won their arbitration case against Tony Wolters over a difference of, what was it, about $500,000? Almost exactly five hundred seventy-five thousand. So he's going to get paid one point nine million instead of two point five. Yep. And yep. you know it's <laughs> it is interesting that you look at the history of this issue, and there are definitely times where taking a player to arbitration and arguing to his face why you don't think he's worth two point five million dollars is a bad practice that undermines the relationship with that player. And obviously it wouldn't be the only player in the organization who's not feeling happy with management right now. And so I get why people are in, in kind of in that way, extra upset about it. Uh, at the same time, 
Walters, like Arenado, for that matter. I mean, you've gotten to know this guy a little bit over the last couple of years, Patrick. Can you imagine Tony Walters showing up and having the attitude of like, well, my team screwed me, so I'm not going to try hard or I'm going to hold my head down or I'm going to have a bad year or I'm going to turn into a clubhouse cancer because I'm mad about my contract? Oh, of course not. Of course not. Talking to him. Uh, last spring training, uh, right as as the players were all reporting to camp, you know, there that was the the beginning of the talk about you know how is this guy on the roster? Yeah, he had gotten the the big hit in the wild card game in 2018, but there had already been some some rumbling rumblings around that time about you know his place on this roster. He uh, wasn't quite the beloved player that he is now. Um, he has since now been been lionized on a DNVR T-shirt that we have. Uh, Mr. Tony Two Bags, and yes, uh, and even with all of that kind of uh, slight bit of turmoil uh, going on, he he was still you know relaxed, comfortable, and confident enough to to make a comment about the fact that we na- we both have mustaches, and uh, as as that was a new addition to to his face uh, last year, and and that's just the kind of guy he is, where he keeps it light. He's got a great relationship with the pitchers. Um, he's so close with those guys, and you know he's 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 not a prima donna. He's he's there for the boys. He wants to play this game. He grew up as a middle infielder, changed to become a catcher, even though he was by far the smallest guy in the room to be doing that kind of catching. So, yeah. you know he's he's gonna he's gonna be fine for this. He's a professional. If this was the first time a case like this had ever happened. You know, this would be on on the nightly news. Like, wow, a team is spending close to two hundred million dollars on their their payroll on their roster, and here they are, you know, squabbling over half of a million dollars with their starting catcher. It seems insane, but this is something that's been going on for close to fifty or so years now, and it's just a part of the process. And players know they're going to go in. There's going to be some things said about you. Um, that you might not like. So it's probably best that you're not in that meeting. A lot of players opt to not participate in that because you can't unhear the things that are said. Dylan Batances is the most notable uh, name a few years ago. And again, he could not wait to get out. And then his, his one of the owners, um, uh, Hal Steinbrenner goes and puts his foot in his mouth saying, well, if you would have saved more games, he would have been worth more. Well, you can control whether or not he uh. saves those game. Became a whole thing, <laughs> whole PR nightmare. Um, but for the Rockies, yeah, this uh, this might not look good for PR purposes. But for the most part, again, once you start seeing Tony Walters behind the dish catching those guys, like you may have seen from some of the videos that have already been put out there on social media, um. and you see him get out there in that that first game at Salt River Field, you're not going to be thinking about the half of a million dollars he lost out on. You're just going to be thinking, man, I, I think this could be the year Tony Walters, you know, finally becomes an all-star, which he has a chance to do. How about that? I mean, all right. And and to your point, I mean, Batances has had some injury issues, but that guy, that dude is still lights out. And like, if the Yankees make a run again, and they almost certainly will, he's going to be a huge part of it. So it's, you know, it, it doesn't cross apply to everybody. There are counterexamples upon counterexamples when it comes to, as you put it, that is the process. It is the very, very stupid process. But the other thing that I think that we learned from this, and we keep relearning throughout this offseason, is that Rockies don't have any money at all. There's, there's, there's a books issue that... I don't think is fully public, but I, the Rockies, while they've never been the biggest spenders, they remain in the top third uh, and top 10. You know, th- those two things mean the same thing. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Dick Monfort has always given big contracts to his own players, and he's done so again with. Blackman and Arenado, all the other stuff notwithstanding. And there has been a kind of a steady growth model in place, and it was so clearly halted. I don't 
I mean, stuff like this, them actually going through to arbitration with Tony Wolders, who's a player we know they like. That's what's weird about this to me. Like, quite frankly, I know that Jeff Breidich and Nolan Arenado have butted heads several times before. It happens with star players and GMs. It's probably more common than most people think. But, like, Wolters and the organization have always gotten along really well. They love him. There are certain analytical fans out there who hate how much they love and have been loyal to Tony Wolters so that they went through arbitration in addition to the grand total of zero major league contracts given out. At one time, I thought, well, maybe that was more based on strategy and the right thing didn't come across and the minor league things were just things they liked a little bit better. It's starting to look like now just they literally don't have the money to spend. And I know there are people out there who think they're all super rich billionaires, but I'm I'm getting the indication that Dick Monfort doesn't have the cash on hand that we might think he does. And some of that may be related to the TV deal. You know, we're, we're going to have to dig into this a little bit more. But I, I think if – I let me put it this way. I think if the team was capable of signing, say – a two or $3 million free agent, Jeff Breidich would have done that. And they would not have had to go to arbitration with Tony Walters. That's my, that's my logic take on it. Well, they certainly would have signed a free agent, no doubt, because there was a plethora of, uh, of guys that could have been had um, in, in that, that, that two to two to $3 million uh, range. I love the movie Three Amigos. So I mean, of course, I know that word. Mm, oh sure. <laughs> uh, and and even with that, they could have signed a guy to to two and a half million dollar uh, a contract and signed a few more that um, you would have invited to camp on a minor league deal. And hey, if you make the major league roster, we're going to bump you up. I mean, they kind of did that with Chris Owings a little bit as he tries to reclaim some of his previous right. value from the Diamondbacks days. But right. they would have. Oh, you're right. They would have done also, a lot more yeah. of that. I just want to throw in too the how backloaded the Trevor Story deal ended up being. Absolutely, that that was the biggest takeaway that that I, I you know, had, had conceived and, and saw in that. Besides the fact that they were getting um, the Rockies were getting a, a decent discount because I figured that yeah. Story could could make um, close to to seventeen eighteen million dollars next year alone. But instead, what they do is they they lock them up to two years guaranteed. So nothing changes about the control that they have and the service time that they have with with Story uh, on their team and in their franchise. Um, but what it does is it it takes some of the money that he should have made this year. And they pocket it to pay him that next year. So they save half a million dollars with Tony Walters. And then they save something like $3 million on Trevor Story this year with that clever deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's all pretty interesting. But I, there, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that they just, for whatever reason, don't feel like they can add any money to the book's for this upcoming season. And so here we go. It's going to be an interesting one. We'll have a lot more to report on in the next few days as we're going to start getting regular highlight videos. I know I've seen some stuff out there on Twitter, as you said, but we're going to have our uh, good setup going on. Had to get everything switched over to DNVR from the old letters that we used to have. And so, so we're getting set up with all that good stuff. Uh, we'll have some audio, I think, coming out of Scottsdale here pretty soon. Um, hopefully not news, uh, <laughs> unless it's, you know, bringing in a few more players to camp. Because news this time of year either means injury or uh, your star third baseman just got traded to the Cubs. <laughs> or maybe you want that. Or maybe the news is just somebody lost 10 pounds and you say, okay. That's nice. Yeah. Or somebody's in the best shape of their life, which I think Mighty about, fast. you know, 75% of players uh, on right. any given roster, they are in the best shape of their life. I know. And it's funny because those there's so many of those stories and they can be overdone. But like it is actually I mean, it, it matters. We do. Antonio Sensatella is a guy that's needed to get in shape. John Gray was a guy. When I first met him, my first thought was, if this dude ever gets totally ripped, he's going to be a nightmare. And for four or five years, he didn't. But he showed up to spring training last year, absolutely cut. 
has one of the best seasons, arguably the best all around season of his career. So, you know, yeah, a lot of guys are going to be in the best shape of their lives. And for most of them, it's not going to matter, but we're going to bring you that news too anyway, because it might matter. <laughs> my my favorite story of that was when Prince Fielder reported and announced that he was oh, yeah. a vegan. vegan. And I was like, Whoa, Prince Fielder is a vegan. Like, wow, that he, that's going to change his game for the better. Uh, and, and he did have to go out and, and have a really solid year, but uh, unfortunately those neck issues uh, forced an early retirement and it might sound crazy, but he will be eligible uh, for the hall of fame next year at the ripe old age, wow. 36 years old. Crazy. You're huh? kidding me. No, he, he's Do you know what his like, with... career war is or anything? I'm going to have to go look. He has 23.6. So it might not be as high as, as you would think, but you no. know, 319 career home runs. He did get over a thousand RBIs. Only yeah. 1,600 hits, uh, finished yeah, in the top so. 10 MVP no, about but... four times. Yeah. Six-time All-Star, you know, uh, but again, did, didn't have enough longevity. Uh, it'll be interesting to see um, if, if something happens way down the line, but it's probably uh, too soon, especially if if you're a big believer in Jaws. He's uh, 99th all-time at first base, which is hard. Uh, it's a, obviously a, a hard position, yeah. but... When he played, he was good. And when he was vegan, he was, he was even better. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So on that note, make sure you're following us on all the social media stuff. Subscribing on whatever podcast app you happen to be using out there. And to, of course, the DNVR.com. And swing by our merch store. We got a bunch of stuff back in stock that's been out for a little while. It's going to go super quickly. I've got to get one of those. Um, new rainbow ones, man. Those 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 things are fire. But they got the 16-bit hockey shirts back in. I think our black diehard ones. They're really popular. They go super fast. I'm telling you, if you want one, order it as soon as you've got the funds to do so because they're going to sell out again and you're going to be sad like I was. <laughs> so and I, and I don't, uh, and I don't know how... how- I don't know how long they go out of stock for. That's the other thing too, is that you may be waiting a couple months. We go, ah, if I miss out, I'll just get it the next time around. You could be waiting a while. <laughs> that could be a problem. Yeah. Those 16 bit ones were sold out for like six months or something like yeah, that. That's right. Back in. So that's right. It's one of our favorite. That's my, I think that might be our, my favorite one that we do. Agreed. We, Same. But Eric Same. is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I really, really want him to make us one of those. Flood him. Everybody at D-Line Co. with, with your need for a Nintendo-style baseball shirt. RBI baseball-style for the Rockies. Just let him know that you would purchase one if it was available. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and, and otherwise, just make sure you're subscribing to everything following everybody on social media. You know the drill because you've been absolutely awesome. We have been absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.